I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles now to Genesis chapter 43. Genesis chapter 43. We're inching ever so closely to the end of this wonderful book. And yes, inching closely. Going a little slow here today. Primarily because we are coming to the table of communion. And yet this little study that we're going to have in the first part of, of um, chapter 43 really does tie in to our time of communion, our time of fellowship with God as well as with one another. Now, I, I heard a, a preacher say one time that Christians don't lie They just sing them in church. I guess you must be thinking about that. Christians don't lie, they just sing them in church. The point was that a lot of times we might sing songs as we did today that have a message that say, you know, we belong to the Lord and we just love the Lord so much. But it brings to mind sometimes what Jesus himself said, you call me Lord, but you do not do the things that I say. And these are the things that we have to examine in our lives and in our hearts if we're going to serve the Lord in these last days, because we are living in some very dangerous times, as the Apostle Paul has has told us. And this all came to mind as I'm looking at these ten brothers of Joseph, whom we have been studying now over the course of the last few weeks and actually months now. But these ten brothers that hated their brother so much that they wanted to kill him, get rid of him, instead, one of the brothers talked him out of doing that, but nonetheless sold Joseph into slavery. And for 20 years... Joseph's father, Jacob, had to live with the thought that, that his son was, was killed and was gone for good. Killed by wild animals when Joseph's brothers brought that robe of, uh, of royalty back to Jacob and said, Look, the, the robe of Joseph, full of goat's blood, but it was to say his blood because he was told that Joseph died by wild animals. Lived with that lie. See, here's the thing. He lived believing that, but the brothers lived with having said that. How long can we live with those kind of lies? But God has a way of changing our hearts. What I've discovered in, in these chapters of, of Genesis that deal with, with, with the brothers of Joseph in Egypt is that the Lord began with fear. There they stood before Joseph in Egypt. Joseph now really uh, standing as the second in command of all of Egypt, even though their brothers, his brothers didn't know it was him. They were bowing to him, just as he said they would, from those dreams that he had told them many years before. And he begins to accuse them of being spies. 
And he makes certain demands to them. Because they said to him, we're honest men. And now the Lord is going to say, okay, if you're an honest man, then you're going to have to comply to these demands. The demand was, I'm going to keep one of your brothers. You take the food, you take the grain back to Canaan, but I'm going to keep one of your brothers until you bring me back your youngest, which was actually Joseph's brother Benjamin from the same mother. You bring me back your brother, and I'll let your other brother go free. And on their way back to Canaan, they discovered that the money that they had taken for the grain to buy because of the famine that they were in, the money was back in their bags, and they feared. They feared that if they went back, they would be accused of being thieves. God had a way of using that to get them to look at the reality of a changed heart. So as we come now to this particular chapter, and we're going to look at just the first 14 verses today, we begin in verse 1 where it says, Now the famine was severe in the land. So it's a reminder. We've seen that already before. By the way, the land is still, in other words, in a famine. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. Now, this is an interesting little verse because what we'll discover at at verse 10 is that they took the grain to feed the family and they went to the very end of what they had brought back from Egypt. But Jacob, if you'll remember, was not wanting to send Benjamin to Egypt. To some extent, some people would say that Benjamin was in denial. You know, so he says, well, let's just keep eating the grain, keep eating the grain, and, and maybe all of these things will go away, and then we won't have to take Benjamin there. But now the grain is finished, and they needed more food. And so he says, go back and buy us a little food. So the brothers remind them through Judah, who by the way, the, uh, Judah is the, is the uh, one brother through whom the line of Jesus is going to come. So this is very significant and very important, that it is his heart first that responds to his father. And he says, the man solemnly warned us, speaking of Joseph, though they didn't know it was him. The man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. In other words, they were fearful of what this man, the second in command in all of Egypt, the prime minister of Egypt said. And Israel, being Jacob, of course, said, why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother. In other words, why did you spill the beans about Benjamin? Why did you tell him about Benjamin? By the way, being called Israel here might be a reminder that he's beginning to open his mind a little bit more to God, being present in all of what's going on. Usually when we hear the name Jacob, we're thinking he's not quite in good terms with the Lord, but now we see the name Israel. 
Possible, but I'm not sure. Verse 7, though, it says, But they said, The man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? That was Joseph asking. He was concerned. Is my father still alive? What's happened to my little brother? But he couldn't tell them it was him. So he asked these pointed questions. All they could do was answer him. And so he says, And we told him according to these words. Could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? We wouldn't have known that. So now we're in a pickle. We've got to do something. If we're going to go back for grain, we better take Benjamin with us. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me. Now this is another significant thing that Judah is saying, because now we're beginning to see that Judah is becoming more of a type of Christ, because it is from Judah that Christ comes. But he takes responsibility. He takes that action of care for his brother Benjamin. He said, send the lad with me and we will arise and go. In other words, all of us together, we're all in this together. Send us and we will arise and go that we may live and not die as a family, both we and you and also our little ones. In other words, all the family will be blessed if we do what we have been told to do. I myself will be surety for him. In other words, I will be the guarantee. Now, is there any greater guarantee for us today than Jesus Christ? So you see a little bit of a type of Christ in this. I myself will be surety for him from my hand. You shall require, from my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. Which is saying now, what I was, which is confirming what I had said earlier, that they lingered and lingered and they tried to get as much of the grain as possible to feed the family until there was no more. Finally, jo- uh, Jacob had to send them again. But Judah said, if we had gone earlier, just, in other words, when, you know, taking Benjamin with us right away back to Egypt, we wouldn't be where we are right now. We would already get this settled, this whole thing settled. All right, that's the story. So as we move now toward the end of, of the adventure of, the, of studying the book of Genesis, and especially the study of the life of Joseph, now all of the themes that we have been introduced to and themes that we will be introduced to are now climaxing together. All of them are climaxing together in a great crescendo of dramatic proportions. And this, this, these themes are providing now for us lessons that we need to embrace and emphatically live out in our daily lives until the day of Jesus Christ. Themes like reconciliation. Being reconciled with one another as this family sorely needs reconciliation. The theme of, of forgiveness. We began that thought uh, a, a couple of weeks ago and last week as well. Brotherly kindness and brotherly love, the theme that we are going to deal with today. And then there's the theme of faithfulness to God and to each other, which is part of what we're going to study today. And then, above all, a theme that we have seen from the beginning of this book to the very end. 
And that is sub, uh, submission to God's providence, submission to God's sovereignty, submission to His grace and to His mercies. We have seen that throughout the book of Genesis. So I want to add now to that list of themes the godly virtue of rebuilding trust. That is the title of our study today, which is going to carry us through two chapters, chapters 43 and 44. But let me explain about rebuilding trust. Trust was not, in the culture of Joseph's time, the prevailing virtue. Trust was not the prevailing virtue. In fact, suspicion probably was. They were more suspicious about each other than they were trusting each other. And I say that kind of generally speaking as, 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 a, as a whole and, and among cultures and, and societies of their time. But after Joseph's abduction into slavery in Egypt at the hands of his brothers... Jacob never did trust his sons in the same way that he had before the loss of Joseph. In fact, he probably didn't trust them very much up until that time after they had gone and killed all the men of Shechem. But his lack of trust grew more and more. And although he was unaware of their evil toward their brother and toward him in their lying to him, his, gro- his grief gave birth to his suspicions. His grief gave birth to his suspicions, which is what happens when love breaks down, and in this case, in a family. When love breaks down in a family, suspicions will always arise. I want you to consider something. Consider that these men, these brothers of Joseph, were all brothers by birth, all sons of the same father. They seemed to love their father. It was, it was somewhat apparent. They, they seemed to love their father. But for 20 years, think about this, for 20 years they had been lying to him about their relationship to Joseph. So... Now, coming to modern times and us here in this room today, if you have been born again by the Spirit of God, if you have been born again by the Spirit of God, you and I are brothers. Brothers and sisters in Christ. We are brethren in Christ by spiritual birth. By spiritual birth, all sons and daughters of the same Heavenly Father. We seem to love our Father. But if we do not love one another, the Scriptures say, we are liars. Now don't go home and tell everybody that Pastor Charlie said that your guys are liars. I didn't say that. But I will show you what John says in 1 John 4, verses 20 and 21. Because John says, if someone says, I love God... And hates his brother. He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen?
And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must, must, must love his brother also. You see, brotherly love is significant evidence that we have the Father's love in our hearts. Let me say that again. Brotherly love is significant evidence that we have the Father's love in our hearts. If we do not love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, there is reason to doubt our love for our Father. So what is brotherly love? Now, not so much a definition. I think we would understand what brotherly love is. But if you look at the Greek uh, word for brotherly love, it is the word Philadelphos, which we get the, the, the word Philadelphia from. And Philadelphia uh, comes from two Greek words, phileo, which means love, and adelphos, which is the word for brother. And therefore, the city of Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. Whether they love each other that way or not, I don't know, but that's what the city's called. And there's a city in the Bible that is in Asia Minor that is also called the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So, what is brotherly love? Let me tell you what it isn't. Brotherly love is not a feeling. Brotherly love is not a feeling. Please don't think I'm going to sing that old 70s song, Feelings. I thought about it, but I'm not going to do it. Brotherly love is not a feeling. I say that because I've done it before. But anyway, what brotherly love is, is faithfulness in the family of God. Brotherly love is faithfulness in the family of God. What do I mean by that? Well, rather than being indifferent, I'm going to give you three words with the letter I, begins with, beginning with the letter I. Three words, very important. Rather than, begin, rather than being indifferent towards one another, as if we don't really care much for everybody or anybody, indifference. Rather than being indifference or indifferent towards one another, we commit to becoming and remaining involved There's the second word, involved. We commit ourselves to being involved with one another as we are instructed by our Father. So rather than being indifferent, this is the way we should not be, rather than being indifferent towards one another, we commit ourselves to being and remaining involved with one another as we are instructed by the Father. And may I say to you that our lives on this earth until the coming of Jesus Christ is that testing ground for that very thing. And so I want you to consider this statement. Our experiences on earth are a proving ground for rebuilding trust and expressing God's love through our own love for one another. I know that's a mouthful. That's why I'm going to repeat it. Our experiences on earth, what we go through on a daily basis on this earth, are a proving ground for rebuilding trust. 
Because we're human, oftentimes we, we make mistakes, we say things, and, and then all of a sudden we, we may lose uh, trust or, or care or concern for other people, right? I mean, because we're human. But this is a test. So this is a proving ground for rebuilding trust and expressing. And expressing. We can't separate rebuilding trust from expressing God's love. So, we express God's love through our own love for one another. Now, the reason I put it this way, and this was with a lot of thought to say to you, because there are times when we think that what we are doing is telling people, listen, God, God's love in me loves you. God's love in me loves you. Which kind, of, which kind of frees us from the commitment. Because then we say, well, it's God's love that loves you. I don't like you that much. You see. But we can't separate ourselves from that. Because the commandment was, love one another. Now, if we are still in the flesh, we're not going to love properly. Therefore, we need the Spirit of God who has given us the love of God so that we can love one another with the love now that is new in our hearts the proper way toward one another. But we must have God's love. So that's why I say that it is expressing God's love through our own love for one another. Because we can't excuse ourselves. We are committed to loving one another. So the Scriptures frequently exhort us to love our brothers and our sisters. Here in Genesis 43 and 44, we're given an example of that as well, as we'll see in the next few weeks. But these men, which are the brothers of Joseph, these men with Judah as their spokesman. I say that because Judah is speaking on their behalf. All ten of them. All ten of the bad seed of of Jacob. Pretty much. These men, with Judah as their spokesman, prove now, from here on, they are proving their brotherly love for Benjamin, the youngest. Now understand this procedure, as it were. They first made a commitment to their father to be faithful towards him. That's what Judah said, but he was speaking on their behalf. They make the commitment to be faithful to Benjamin. And then, having been given the opportunity to be indifferent towards them by choice, what do I mean by that? It's just like any challenge we have. We know what God wants us to do when it comes to other people. We know what God wants us to do. Will we take up the challenge? Because many times we don't. Many times we become indifferent rather than become involved. What I'm saying is this is the challenge we all go through. The temptation not to follow through with God's command. Are you understanding that? Are you understanding that? I just want to make sure. Do this. If you do. Okay. <clears throat> so, you notice the steps. They committed to be... They committed to be faithful towards Benjamin. And even though they had the opportunity to say, Okay, I'm going to be faithful, but then not do it. Nonetheless... They remained involved as they were instructed 
by their father. That's the challenge we have to deal with. Will we follow through with loving others and loving one another as God has commanded us? We learn three things from their example about loving brothers and sisters in God's family. The first thing is we learn that our love has terms. We're going to deal with that point today only. Love has its tests and love has its triumphs. But for today, we're going to learn the terms of our love. Verses 11 to 13, uh, 14, which we'll get to in just a moment. But as I've already stated, brotherly love is a matter of faithfulness, not feelings. It is a commitment to our Heavenly Father to become and to remain involved with our brothers and sisters and to follow the Lord's instructions in our relationships with them. So in these opening verses of chapter 43... Judah spoke for himself and for his brothers as he committed to his father that he would be faithful towards Benjamin. These men were not to return to Egypt without their youngest brother Benjamin. The reason why becomes very clear as the story unfolds. Think about this. They had shown no brotherly love towards Joseph, having sold him into slavery to Egypt 20 years earlier. So now they're going to face the same decision with Benjamin. Would they abandon Benjamin into slavery as well? Of course, the answer is no. And the reason is the commitment that they made to their father. Judah made a real commitment to his father to care for Benjamin. It wasn't based on any special feelings that he had for his brother. No. It was based, as you will see later, on his relationship to his father. This is an important point to establish when speaking of brotherly love in the family of believers. Because you may not have feelings towards all of your brothers and sisters here. Probably because you don't know a lot of the people on the other side of the building. Okay? And, but that's okay. That's okay. Because your love for them flows from your relationship to your Heavenly Father. You see that connection. That's what I'm trying to show you. We don't have to be indifferent. We do need to be involved. We give you opportunities every week to meet someone, to meet other people. That's involvement. It breaks the indifference factor. Your love for them is a commitment to Him. Listen, your love for each other in this room, your love is a commitment to Him to be faithful towards them. You got it? Your love for them in this room is a commitment to Him, your Heavenly Father, to be faithful to them, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Got it? Are we getting it? Uh, are we getting it? Good morning. It's only... It's not morning anymore. It's, uh, we just crossed the threshold. We're, we're in afternoon now. You've got to be awake. All right. So you can't rely on your feelings, but you can remain faithful. And when you would rather be indifferent, you instead become involved. You follow the instructions given to you in the Word of God to love one another. And I can tell you this, there's about 50 to 60 exhortations in the Word of God telling you to love one another in various ways. I've got to reduce that down to about 14 for time's sake. So let's do that. <laughs> let's learn, <clears throat> excuse me, 
Let's learn the one another's. Because it's that important. Let's learn the one another's. Ready? First of all, you are to be members of one another. That's the church. You're members of one another. Whether you like it or not. That's where feelings have to get thrown into the back seat. Or actually thrown way back there. You're to prefer one another. You're to show preference to one another. To each other. Preference more for others than of yourself. That's the point. You're to admonish one another. In other words, you're to encourage by warning, by sharing the Word of God, by sometimes making corrections. Not that we're the Holy Spirit, no, but sometimes we need to be told because we're seeing things from our own perspective and not God's. And somebody will come along and say, you know, maybe you need to read this because you're going in that direction. God wants you to go this way. It's admonishment. We need to greet one another. That's an easy thing if we realize we get that opportunity every week to greet one another, get to know one another in the love of God and in the love of Christ. We get to serve one another. That's a biggie. Service is a biggie, serving one another. Those of you that are going to partake of the kitchen and, or the cafe in just a little while, you've got some wonderful brothers and sisters over there. Man, they have been working since early morning to prepare a nice meal for you. And they're there to serve you. And they love it. They love it. They love serving you. You need to serve one another. That's just a, a small example. We need to bear with one another. Because sometimes... We have to be there for someone. We need to be the strength and shoulders for someone who's bearing a very heavy burden. And we want to pray them through it so that we can lift that burden off their shoulders. We need to forgive one another. That's one of the things that even Jesus said. If we don't forgive one another as He's forgiven us, we're in trouble. (laughs) And we don't want to be in trouble with Jesus. We need to forgive one another as He has forgiven us. And then we need to submit to one another. In other words, we need to bow before others, you know. In other words, we, we, we need to consider others, to some extent, greater than ourselves. That's the, that's the work of the ministry. I'm only standing a little bit above you so that you all can see me, so I can talk to you. But in reality, I'm underneath to lift you up. That's ministry. Submission to one another. And then there's edify one another, which means build one another up. Don't tear people down. Build them up. Exhort one another, which means encourage. Sometimes you have to warn in encouragement, but nonetheless it's encouragement. Encourage one another. Uh, Confess to one another. Maybe you stepped on somebody's toes. You need to kind of let them know, I didn't mean to do that. Please forgive me. Consider one another. Let's quit looking at ourselves all the time. Let's look at the needs of others. Have compassion for one another. Show hospitality to one another. Turn to Romans chapter 12. We'll see a few of these. This is just an example. By the way, you're going to say, well, where are all those? I said, that's your homework. That's your homework. Look them up. But let's turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. I'll I'll start you off here. I'll give you a few here. Let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, 
let your love be without wearing a mask. Some people are really good at wearing a mask that has a big smiley face on it. But the, but, but the face behind the mask is more like a growl. That's not Christianity, folks. That's sin. Hypocrisy is sin. Coming to Jesus Christ really does set us free to become real. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. The scripture has a lot to say about what is good. Let's cling to those things. Read Philippians chapter 4 one of these days. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. There's one. Be kindly affectionate. With brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. There's the preference part. Giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. You know that this is connected in context? Don't lack in diligence of loving one another. Don't lack, don't, uh, you know, don't get behind in, in how you're to love one another. Be fervent in spirit when you're, when you're loving one another. Uh, serve the Lord. In other words, you're loving one another and you're serving one another. And by doing that, you're serving the Lord. And then he says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer for others, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. I mean, this is just the, the springboard into learning all about the one another's that we are all called to fulfill. So, as you see these things, do not depend on feelings. In fact, many of these things are contrary to your feelings. Because there's times when you say, I don't want to be nice to somebody. I know you might be being honest, but you know what? That's the way you are sometimes. I don't want to be that way. You know what? Get over it. And let the love of Christ change you. You know, when we become so concerned about someone else needing to change, we better change first. And when we change, it's amazing what the Lord will change when we come to Him with the right heart. But we're instructed to do these things. We're instructed to do them, but we are also empowered by the indwelling Spirit of God to do them. We can do these things because God has given us His love and His Spirit to do them. So stop depending on feelings. Be dependable in faithfulness towards God and towards each other. Now let's, let's start to wrap this up so we can come to the, to the table of communion today. And this is where we begin to find our connection to communion here in just a moment. But as we read on in Genesis 43, verse 11, it says, And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. That sounds like there's going to be an instruction being given to us here. Remember the importance of instruction. If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man. A little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Now, somebody asked me a good question last night. They said, well, you know, if they were in a severe famine, where'd they get all this stuff? Walmart. 
No, actually, just as they just as they had stored the grain in Egypt, I mean, certainly there were some things that they had to have stored back in Canaan, as well as in any other place that was suffering through the severe famine. These are not things that you can that you know that you live off of. You know, you live off of the grain. So this was stuff I'm sure that they they had saved up for a rainy day like like this. They just he just wanted them to prepare a gift. And in a sense, that's teaching us something about how our lives are supposed to be gifts for others. And that we should bring gifts of goodness and mercy and kindness to other people. But it's also a good thing for Jacob to say to his sons, Listen, they don't like you down there, so you've got to have to, you know, give them something to maybe change their ideas about you. They think you're spies. Maybe they think you're thieves now that they have, now that you found all of your money back in your bags, you know. Oh, by the way, that's the next thing. Look at verse 12. Take double money in your hand and take back your hand, in your hand, the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Uh, maybe you forgot to give it to them, huh? But do everything you can, you know, to prove that you're not the thieves that they think you are. And then take your brother also. Now notice, Jacob has succumbed to this necessity. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man. Jacob's heart is softening. That's a good thing. Notice verse 14. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man. It's been a long while since we've heard Jacob talk about the Lord, hasn't it? Almost 20 years that we haven't heard a peep from Jacob about the Lord. But now he says, may God Almighty, El Shaddai, may El Shaddai give you mercy before the man, that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. Okay, at the end of the day, it is what it is. By the grace of God. It is what it is by the mercies of God. With this charge from their fathers, the brothers, including Benjamin, headed forward into God's providential hand. Now they're in God's hand, moving back toward Egypt. Brought to mind this thought, that sometimes feelings keep you in fetters. You know what fetters are? They're chains. Feelings sometimes keep you in fetters. Faithfulness will keep you moving forward. Faithfulness will keep you moving forward. Do you remember what Paul said at one time? He said, forgetting what is behind, I press forward. Sometimes feelings keep us in our flesh. Faithfulness keeps us moving toward God's will. In these verses, we see the terms of our brotherly love. And we see them in two things that stand out. Unity and surety. Unity and surety. As for unity, the Lord desired unity among the brothers of Joseph. 
He set things up so that they would all be together in Egypt. Everything that has happened, even when they desired to kill Joseph, and then they threw him into a pit, and then they decided to just sell him into slavery to the Ishmaelites, who eventually the Ishmaelites would sell him to Egypt, Potiphar, the, you know, the, the, the keeper of the prison and all of that. All of that was in God's will, in God's hand, as it were. Ultimately, it was to lead them back to family. Back to brotherly love. They didn't know it at the time. Maybe even Joseph didn't know it at the time. He just went along with what God said because he knew God was with him. God would reveal what needed to be done. God would reveal what needed to be known. So when Joseph finally reveals himself to them in chapter 45, guess what we see? All 12 of them are together rejoicing in the Lord. That's what we're going to see in chapter 45. All of them rejoicing. So God's desires, uh, God desires unity among brothers and sisters in his family today as well. We came into this place today to rejoice in the Lord for what God has done, not only for us, but for each other, for all of us together. Isn't God good? That's why I began with that thought. Isn't God so good that He's given us this opportunity to share the love of Jesus today, to share the love of the cross, because what Jesus did on the cross was His love for us. Because it didn't end there. In fact, that was just the beginning. For he would be buried, and on the third day he would rise again. That was for us. So that we can love one another as Christ has loved us until the day of Jesus Christ and beyond. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, in other words, I beg you, I plead with you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness. I want you to take note of these things. Lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What are your endeavors today? What are you endeavoring to do? Some of you are probably in school and you're saying, I'm endeavoring to get my degree in this or that field. I'm endeavoring, I'm trying, I'm working, I'm wanting to endeavor to get this job so that I can, you know, get some of my my finances in order, whatever, whatever it is that we're endeavoring. We are called to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace as believers. It is something we must do and we do it under the direction and leading and the power of the Holy Spirit of God who is in us. But we must endeavor to keep the unity. It's something that we are not to give up in doing. And then he says, "There's and here's the reason why, there's only one body. I've oftentimes said this, I've asked the question, how many churches are there in El Paso? There's only one. Made up of the true believers in Jesus Christ. We might all meet in different places, different areas of town, different buildings, but there's only one church. And that's the body of Christ. 
And we who trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're part of that body. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord. Not many lords, just one Lord. You know who he is? Gee whiz. Do you know who he is? His name is Jesus. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and and through all and in you all. I think Paul makes things pretty clear. One God. Unity is a spiritual grace that comes from within because of the Spirit of God that is already within us. If we are going to preserve and maintain unity, we must cultivate the necessary graces that belong to us. Paul mentioned them earlier. Humility, lowliness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing, and peace. There are also spiritual grounds for unity. This is very important. The foundational truths of our faith. Our unity in Christ must be grounded in God's truth. It must be grounded in the Word of God. Now you can go to other churches today and you'll find that some, in some things we may not agree the same about certain things. If they're non-essentials, it's just, you know, traditions or whatever. But we must agree on the foundational truths. We must agree on who Jesus Christ is. We must agree on what He came to do. We must agree on how we come to faith in Christ. We must agree on those essential issues. That is so important. And then unity also involves spiritual gifts. For the Lord has given to each believer at least one spiritual gift to be used to build up others. When you read uh, chapters 12 and 14 of of the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, where Paul is instructing this church that was so used to abusing the gifts of the Spirit, when he instructs them, the gifts that are given to the church are given for the sake of building one another up in Christ. So we all have at least one spiritual gift. Others have more, possibly. But we all have at least one spiritual gift to build one another up. And as these gifts are properly exercised, they help to preserve and to maintain the unity that the Lord desires among believers. Now, unity is important and essential, but so is surety. S-U-R-E-T-Y. Surety. Back in verse 9, Judah said, I will be surety for Benjamin. Judah promised that he would see to it that Benjamin would return safely to his father's house. Now my question to you this morning is, before we come to the table of communion, is what are we obligated to do for our brothers and sisters in Christ? What are we obligated to do for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Here's a simple answer. We are obligated to serve them, number one. We are obligated to serve them. Number two, we are obligated to seek after them and to seek after their well-being, in other words. And then thirdly, 
We are never, never, ever to stumble them. We are to serve them. We are to seek them and to seek after them and after their, uh, their well-being. And we are never to stumble them. And all of this is biblical. First of all, Jesus said in Mark 10.45, For even the, Son of Man, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. He's our example. We, didn't, we are not here to be served. We are here to serve. I heard one writer say that the true symbol of Christianity is not the cross or crown, but the towel. Now, I don't really agree wholeheartedly with that statement, but I do understand the point that this person was trying to make. Because on the night that Jesus was crucified, He Himself took a towel and He washed the feet of His disciples. But then he told them this in John 13. He said, If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. He says to every believer, to every disciple of Jesus, that we are to be spiritual foot washers. In other words, we are to humble ourselves before each other. And in so doing, we seek after our brethren's best interest and we'll never, have an, we'll never have an inkling to cause any of them to stumble away from the Lord and His best for them. We will never have the desire to stumble anyone. <clears throat> if I'm called to build you up, I've never been called to tear you down. And at the very same time, you were called to build one another up in the faith, but never to tear anyone down. That is for every believer, not just for some. Not just for pastors or ministers, not just for leaders in the church, it's for all of us. I want to lead us into communion by looking at some other words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, I'm sorry, Philippians 2 verses 1 through 4. And this will lead us into that tie-in with communion today. Paul said, there, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ. Consolation is comfort. Now, how many of you have been comforted by Christ? Can you say that He's comfort? Whenever you need Him, He's always there. If there's any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, have you been comforted by His love? Certainly. If, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy, He says, being like-minded, having the same love, having the same love as Jesus toward us. Having the same love, being of one mind, of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, and there's that, that word lowliness again, humility. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. In other words, yeah, we, we, we're to uh, 
esteem others more than ourselves. In, in verse 4 it says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, which means we have interests and we have to take care of them. We have families, we have people that we need to care for, yeah. But, he says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. The church of Corinth, Paul had to admonish heavily in his first letter, because although they were filled with the Spirit, he said, but you are abusing the gifts of the Spirit. So in chapters 12 through 14, he's instructing them on how the the gifts of the Spirit are to be utilized within the church. Center to that is the, is the chapter on love, which is chapter 13. All by itself, he separates our understanding of love, but ties it together with the gifts of the Spirit. Before that, chapter 11, Paul had to instruct them on their abuses of the bread and the cup. Their abuse of the table of communion. Because they were guilty of not understanding the body of Christ. When you dig deep to understand chapter 11, you realize that they missed what it meant to have brotherly love amongst themselves. Others were being left out. It was becoming a party rather than a time of reflection of how we need to bless one another. That's what they were missing. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask our servers to come. And as you take the... There's two cups that are... We're going back to the two-cup system. Uh, the bottom cup, of course, has the bread and the top cup has, has the juice. And by the way, that's a smart way to do it because you don't want the juice on the bottom cup. Kind of would make a mess, huh? Okay. So... Just so you'll know. You can separate it, just little twist. Don't, don't spill on anybody. But hold on, to the, hold on to, the, uh, to the cups. And we'll partake of it together. But as you're holding on to it, and we encourage you all to take one. Because we're told to remember Jesus this way. And in, do, in so doing, let's remember what we've learned about how we're to love one another in the love of Christ how we're to prefer one another over ourselves. How thankful we are for what God has done to bring us to this place where we are a part of one body in one church. Father, thank you so much for bringing us to this time of communion and community, this time of sharing the blessings of the bread and the cup to remind us of what Jesus Christ has done for us, but also reminding us how much He cherishes His church, how much He cherishes the members of His body. And in that, Lord, we are to also remember we're not to be factions in the church. We're not to be fractures in the church. We need to be faithful in the church, faithful to God and faithful to each other. Lord, let that be our quest. Let that be our endeavor for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This we ask 
In Jesus' name, amen.
to the church in Corinth, Paul said, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. And certainly the very promise of the Lord's return is is clear in, in the statement of Paul. We do this until he comes. What else do we do until he comes? We continue to cherish the body of Christ and to cherish one another as part of the body. The idea here is that we are partaking of a little piece of bread, but the, 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 the picture is that we are partaking of the same loaf of one work of God. And when we drink of the cup, we're drinking of that same representation, the symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our forgiveness, our remission, the remission of sins. One work for all time. The encouragement is walk worthy of the Lord. Love one another. Forgive one another. Prefer one another. Serve one another. Seek after each other's good interests. And never stumble. Never stumble anyone, especially a brother. He said if this bread and cup were taken unworthily, we would be guilty of the body of Christ. Interesting, isn't it? The context between chapters 11 and 14 is very clear. It is our misunderstanding of the body that we're to care for one another. So, I hope and pray from this that we've learned how we are to live, how we are to encourage, and how we are to serve each other's needs. It's the Lord doing it through us. We thank you, Father, for this bread, as it is indeed, Lord God, the symbol of the body of Christ that was broken for us. And we thank you for this cup as well, the cup that was and is the representation of the blood of Jesus, shed for the remission of our sins, offered to you as that complete sacrifice for the salvation of those who would believe and trust in Jesus. As we partake of these things today, Father, continue to give us wisdom and grace in our understanding of how we are to take care of one another in the body of Christ. Strengthen our understanding of salvation so that, Lord, we will be clear to others their need for Jesus, 
their need, Lord, in these last days to embrace the Son of God and God the Son. We bless you and we praise you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.